I'm so glad to be preaching this morning. Uh, I want to welcome everybody online. I want to welcome all my peeps in Grayson. How's it going, Grayson? I'm so excited for you guys. Listen, God is doing such amazing things. Grayson holds a very special place in my heart. I graduated from Kentucky Christian University, and I spent about three years over there. That was my home, and uh, man, I just I love it. I love that place, and I really believe God's doing some great things. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Jacob. I'm the student pastor and uh, here, here on staff, and I've been doing this for about, about six years now. And I'm just really honored to be here. We have the best pastor in the world. He's an amazing leader. Uh, he's an amazing husband, amazing father. He's an amazing pastor. He's also an amazing friend. And very thankful to have him. He uh, just preached a summer camp this past week down in Florida. He's on his way back today. He said he'd be watching online in the van and he's, as he's traveling. What a dedicated pastor, right? Going to watch online. And so I want to honor him, love him so much. Uh, my wife, she was, the, she was the beautiful lady singing up here. Uh, she's on staff as well. And uh, both of us, we get to work in our youth ministry, our sixth graders, I mean our sixth graders through, all the way up through 12th graders, and then also in our college ministry. We just started our college ministry this past spring. We loved it. It was very successful. We're going to be doing it all throughout this year because of God's grace that was on it. So we're really excited about that. And uh, listen, I'm so passionate about students. I really am. I, honestly, I know this may sound weird. I love hanging out with them. I think they're awesome. I think they're great. I think that the future that the world needs is in their hearts and in their heads. And I'm so excited about the future of the church. Because listen, they, I know they're the church of today. I know that. They're also the church of tomorrow. And they're the hope that this world needs. And so can we just really quick, can we encourage them? Can we just show them a little bit of love? They need that. In fact, studies show that young men need encouragement. They need to know that they have something to offer this world. They need to know that the hope of the world through Jesus, God wants to use them and they are a part of that and they have something to offer this world. And so I just, I love our students, the fact that they would get up early in the morning on Sunday after staying up all night binge watching Stranger Things. They would get up and they would come here. Yeah, I know some of you guys are laughing because you did it, right? I've, I'm, I'm on episode five. Do not ruin it for me, okay? All right, I will lose my salvation if you tell me what happens at the end after. So I'm joking. I'm joking. Do not tell me. Anyways, I just, I love the fact they would get up early in the morning. They would get here. They would serve. They would take five and a half hours on a beautiful Sunday when they could be out hanging out at Cave Run Lake to be here to serve their, their local church. They are awesome. So I really believe that God has something really special in store for the students here. But enough about me. Uh, that's what I get to do. I'm really excited to preach today, especially in this series called Hymns. Listen, I grew up on hymns, y'all. Like, like I went to the church and I, I, I didn't know how dated it was. I mean, honest with you. I had no idea how dated some hymns were. In fact, I came to a new realization of this a couple weeks ago at camp. We were at summer camp down in South Carolina, and uh, one of our students opened up about a testimony that she had. She was sharing about this time she was at church, and this is what she said, and I like my, my, my mouth dropped when she said this. She said, I was at one of a, a traditional church uh, when I was younger growing up, and this is what she said, and she said, and uh, you know, it was traditional because they sang from those songbooks. I was like, wait, 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 wait. like, I stopped her dead in her test. I was like, wait, hold on, like, 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 a, like a hymn book? She's like, yeah, whatever they call them. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whatever they call them, like, come on now. Like, she didn't, didn't know. And then I, I realized, like, we, we do, like, we have a generation where, like, the hymn books are, like, those screens, you know? 
Like they, they don't understand what it's like for Patty Parker, who is my Sunday school teacher, who also played the piano to get up in front of a congregation to say, we're going to go to page 333. And I knew instantly that was I'll fly away. And she would get up and you would sing I'll fly away. And you would hit, right? Like that's, I grew up on hymns, y'all. And listen, I know there's some new songs that are awesome and there's some new goodies, but listen, there's some oldies that are some goodies. And I love the songs that they sang today. In particular, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I'm going to preach through the lens of that hymn. And it's kind of funny, about a month and a half ago, whenever I was praying through different hymns and which one I wanted to, to preach through, uh, I picked this hymn. It's one of my favorite ones. And then after I picked it, I was praying through it and studying it. And I was like, Jesus, God, why did I pick this hymn? Like Jesus paid it all straight gospel, right? I mean, soup, right? I mean, it's just the gospel story. Just read, just take your pick anywhere in the Bible you want to go to. Why, why did I pick a song about how we have a friend in Jesus? Because if I'm being completely honest with you, like I know Jesus is my friend, but I feel like if I say that as a 27-year-old man, that, that's kind of like a Sunday school view of Jesus, right? Like, like a mature view of Jesus is that he's our savior, he's high, he's mighty, he's lifted up, he's above all. Like that's a mature view of Jesus. When you think of Jesus as friend, like that's kind of like Sunday school childish view of Jesus. But what was so great through studying this, if I can be completely transparent, is I really needed encouragement. I really needed hope. I, I really needed an experience where I felt Jesus in a new way. And through studying through this, while it was probably one of the most difficult messages I've ever studied for, Jesus revealed to me how seeing him as a friend is one of the highest views you could ever have of him. In fact, he says it here in Scripture. So before we get into that, before we get into John chapter 15, which is the verse where Jesus actually asked his disciples to see himself as a friend, that's how we should see him. At one of the ways that we should see him is as a friend. Almost one of the highest views to hold Jesus. Before we get into that in John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there. I'll meet you there here in just a moment. I'm going to do a little bit of background on the song. Uh, the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, was written in the 1800s. A guy named Joseph Skiven, probably pronouncing the last name wrong, S-C-I-V-E-N. And he was born in Ireland. And just before he was, he was about to get married, and his fiance uh, was killed in, in, in a drowning incident. And he was just completely devastated. The love of his life, they were getting ready to get married, and now she's gone. And he kind of went to a, a dark season in his life. And his mom was going through some things back in his home country, back in Ireland. And he penned these words, what a friend we have in Jesus. Our sins and griefs to bear. And he pins this song, and he actually writes it as encouragement to his mom through what she's going through, but also to help him through what he's going through. And the whole point of the song was that no matter what dark times are ahead, no matter what dark season we're in right now, no matter what desert, no matter how we feel like we haven't heard from God or felt the closeness of his presence, no matter what season we're in, how we could always go to the perfect friend of Jesus in prayer. And what's crazy is Jesus said those things right before he goes on the cross to die for the sins of the world. He looks at his disciples and he says those very things. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through and talk about how Jesus is our friend, what kind of a friend he is, what kind of a friend that we have in Jesus, how we can see him not just as Savior and Lord, which he is, which is an amazing way to look at Jesus and rightfully so how we should look at Jesus, but also how we see Jesus not as a Sunday school kid, oh, Jesus is my friend. No, no, he's, he's my friend. 
So my hope this morning and my encouragement, just as this message in this song has been for me throughout the years, and just as this message has been studying for it, I hope that this morning you will leave encouraged, with hope, with joy, with a new, steady peace in your soul and in your heart so that you can really, truly understand and see in a new and a fresh way how Jesus really is your friend. So if you're ready to go, say, let's go. All right, half of us, let's go. All right, John chapter 15. This is coming. Jesus is uh, telling the, the, the parable, if you will. It's not really a parable, but the analogy about how he is the vine and we are the branches and we are to remain in him and we will bear fruit. And right at the end of this, right at the tail end of this, he starts talking through this, this idea of how if we remain in his love and obey his commandments, we're not just servants, but we're friends. All right, check this out. John chapter 15, verse nine. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's talking about himself here. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Some, some uh, translations may say bond servants or slaves. By the way, this is Paul's favorite title that he gives himself. You won't find Paul saying friend of Jesus. In fact, he says, I'm a servant of God. And he talks about how high of an honor it is that he would be a servant, a slave, a bond servant to God, to Jesus. And rightfully so. But Jesus, looking at his disciples right here, this is what he says. I no longer call you just servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Now, what's so peculiar about this passage is this is one of the few times in all of Scripture that you will find Jesus being called a friend. Only a few times in Scripture does this actually happen. Now, John's writing this, and you got to know a little bit about John. John literally saw himself as Jesus' best friend. Like, seriously, he called himself this. Do you know this? All throughout John, all throughout John, and it's not that he's cocky, he's just confident in his relationship with Jesus. He called himself the one who Jesus loved most. Think about that. He, all the time, he, never, he didn't even say his name when it would come to Peter, James, and the one whom Jesus loved most. That's seriously, that's how he saw himself. Imagine if you lived your life thinking that you were Jesus' best friend. Could you imagine the holy swagger and humility and, and just absolute, just right, just, just imagine living like, I'm Jesus' best friend, yo. I mean, seriously, could you imagine how you would live life, how you would approach things, how you would approach obstacles? That's how John saw himself, and rightfully so, because though Jesus did have uh, a lot of followers and 12 disciples, he did have an inner three. And of those inner three was John. There was Peter, James, and John. And maybe John was his favorite, I don't know. All I know is they had a very special relationship because at the last supper John was the one that was sitting at his right hand of the like seven phrases or sentences that Jesus says on the cross one of them was to talk to John who was the only disciple that was at Jesus uh, crucifixion uh, one of them was to look at John and say take care of my mother for me 
John was the first uh, man to arrive at the tomb. He was the first one to proclaim that Jesus is risen. I mean, we can definitely see that John had this special relationship. John literally saw himself as Jesus's best friend. And what I love about this passage is it says, yes, you're my servant. Yes, you, you follow me, but I want you to know you're also a friend. At first, when I read this, I thought, oh, this must have just been for the disciples. Like, I'm probably not a friend of Jesus. It's just the disciples because they saw him. But when reading on, what he's saying here is when you come into relationship with Jesus, when you understand the Father's business, you then enter into relationship with me and we become friends. In other words, we share in that relationship. So yes, you are a servant in that you serve God. Yes, you are a servant in that you serve me and do the work, the, the work of the church. Yes, that's true, but you were also... A friend. And so what I want to do this morning is look through, through Scripture, the kind of friend that Jesus is. Going back into the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, the time that God, that Jesus showed up, and the kinds of friends that Jesus is. So we're going to look at a couple of, now this, this is not conclusive, this isn't all of the way that Jesus is our friend, but these are some of the ways, particularly these are really personal to me, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write these down, uh, j- just to let you know, kind of a little warning, I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture really fast, I'm going to be jumping around a lot, so it, you may get lost in the sauce trying to figure it all out, like okay, he's in Genesis here, now he's in Abraham, Where, where's he going? Just, just write it down. And then we'll come back, you can come back later and actually read through the passage, okay? Because I would hate for you to get just frustrated, like, he's going so fast, all right? But remember, I teach the middle schoolers and high schoolers, we're chaotic all the time, you know? So, so we're, we're going we're gonna to start in Genesis, so you can go ahead and go there, all right? But the first kind of friend that Jesus is, if we're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is a friend who's there for you when you need it most. We see this all throughout Scripture. Jesus is a friend who's there for you when you need it most. Listen, I know I'm not the best of friends sometimes. I know sometimes I'm not there for people when they need it most, but Jesus is the type of friend who's there for you when you need it most. Don't take my word for it, look at scripture. You know the very first person in the scripture and really the only person in the Old Testament that's ever called a friend of God, the only person that's ever called a friend of God is Abraham, the only one. And we see why James, in James chapter 2, gives us a hint as to why he was called a friend of God. Check this out. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted or reckoned, some translations would say, him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So it was because of his faith, because of Abraham's faith, that he was counted as righteous and he was a friend of God. What faith are they talking about here? Let's do a little backstory. Abraham was promised by God that through his descendants, through his offspring, a savior, a Messiah would come that would save the world. Think about that. God shows up to you, Jacob. Through your kids, a savior will come. That's awesome. That's great. The problem was Abraham's 99 years old and still haven't had a kid. I mean, I know you're God and everything, but like, you know, it don't work that way. You know, like, I mean, I'm 99, hello. And, uh, and, and so, so 99 years old, still hasn't had a kid. You know what he's thinking? Like, God must have made a mistake whenever he said that it's through my offspring that the Messiah was going to come because I'm 99 years old. What, 100 years old, His wife gives birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter or giggles. Seriously, that's what it means. Because they thought it was hilarious that God waited so long to give them a son. So he he finally has a son, his one and only son. 
Oh, this is amazing. It's going to be through Isaac, through the offspring, that, we're, that the Messiah is going to come. And it's going to save the whole world. Abraham's like, God has held true to his promise. Then God comes to him. I want you to sacrifice your son. Okay, all right, God, all right. Now, first, I'm 100 years old and have a kid. All right, I got a toddler, all right? I'm 102 years old. He's two years old. He's walking. He's like running around the tent, just, you know, getting all over everything. Yesterday, I had like a bear hide and he got inside of it. I mean, you know, like, just imagine this. And that, all right, seriously, he's like eight years old now and you want me to go sacrifice my one and only son? Let's pick it up. Genesis chapter 22, verse nine. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar. So he goes up to a mountain. He's going to sacrifice his son. And actually, on the way up to the, to the mountain, Isaac goes, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, look at his faith. Abraham goes, God will provide it. Isaac, has, he, he, just, he doesn't know. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be the sacrifice. This is messed up. I mean, this, is, this, is, this is a crazy story. Abraham built an altar up on top of the mountain. He arranged the wood on it. Then he bowed his son, Isaac, I mean, I'm not a parent. I, I'm, a, I'm a parent of a dog. You know what I'm saying? You know, and sometimes I'm like, I will put him up on sacrifice the altar. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I would never do that to my dog. I love my dog. I'm joking. But like, I, I don't have a kid, but like, could you, I mean, oh my goodness. This is insane. Then he reached out his hand and he took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, everyone repeat after me. Everybody say angel of the Lord. All right, some of us did that. All right, we'll, we'll get better at that as it goes on. I'll ask you to do that. The angel of the Lord, called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Lord. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. This is a foreshadowing of things to come. And it completely parallels, completely parallels the story of the gospel here. But I want you to notice this. The angel of the Lord, by the way, whenever you study through scripture, you see the angel of the Lord. It's my personal conviction that the angel of the Lord is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. The fancy theological word is called Christophany. Christ, Christos, showing up in the Old Testament. Now here's the deal. I'm not going to die on that sword. Like, if I get up to heaven, he was like, hey, it was, and it was somebody different. I'd be like, okay, God, you know more than me. However, though, the angel of the Lord, when he shows up in the Old Testament, he's allowed to be worshipped like God, and they call him Lord. So that's the reason why I think that it's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to believe that. That's fine. That's just how I see it. Either way you look at it, it's still a being which represents God or Jesus. And what we see is right when he's about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, stop! And this completely parallels what happens in the New Testament. Check this out. Let's go through this really quickly. Abraham obeys God. It's going to be on the screen. Check this out. One, Abraham obeys God. Two, Abraham goes to sacrifice his son. I think it's going to come up here. One, Abraham obeys God. Let's see if it does it. Maybe, maybe not. All right, we'll just go with it anyways. One, Abraham obeys God. There it is. Boom, love it. Two, Abraham goes to sacrifice his son. You're tracking with me? Three, God provides an escape, which is the ram in the thicket. Four, Abraham is counted as righteous and counted as a friend of God. Now let's fast forward. Look at how this parallels. One, Jesus obeys God. Jesus goes to sacrifice himself as God's one and only son. God provides us an escape in a relationship through Jesus Christ. Now we are seen as righteous and we are counted as friends of God. 
through that sacrifice. We see in the Old Testament that Jesus was a friend who showed up when he needed it most. There's another story. I know I've preached this a million times, so I don't want to re-preach this message, but it's one of my favorite passages. Let's fast forward to Daniel, all right? Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at the fiery furnace. A little bit of backstory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're taken from their home country. They're put in Babylon, which is a, a, a country that doesn't worship God. They worship a lot of different gods. King Nebuchadnezzar's not a Christian. King Nebuchadnezzar, we'll call him Nebi for short, builds a golden altar, I mean a golden idol, and commands everyone to worship this false god. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will not bow down to that god. They will not bow down to that false god. Nebuchadnezzar's furious with rage. He knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knows who they are, but he's so furious, he throws them into a burning furnace. Look what happens here. This is crazy. Chapter 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the three men firmly tied into the furnace. Then... King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, hey, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, your majesty. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, and governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I love this story because at the last moment, right when they needed it most, Jesus shows up. The fire that was supposed to take them out. I love this. I know I preached this message before, but I got to bring it back. Listen, the fire that was supposed to take them out. The problem that they were facing became a platform for them to share the gospel. And do you know that King Nebuchadnezzar came to faith because of what happened that day? He believed in God for the first time because of what happened today. Listen, I want you to know the fire that you're going through, it is a problem. But now it's a problem for the enemy because that problem is now a platform for you to stand on, for Jesus to show up just in the nick of time and to show that it will not take you out. And now it's a platform for you to stand on and for you to preach the gospel, the problem you're dealing with, the addition that's been a part of your life, the anxiety and the fear and depression, it was meant to take you out, but now it's a problem of the enemy, not your problem, because it's a platform for you to say, Jesus is showing up, and he is here, and I love that Jesus shows up when you need him most. Fast forward, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus with the disciples, and this is what he commands them. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, a big storm, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. 
This spoke to me very special when I was studying through this this past week. And actually, it brought me to tears for a moment. Because I love at the beginning of the passage, they said, go to the other side. I don't know, just something came over me and spoke to me. And it, I felt God saying, I think some of us here, and I know I, I, I in particular have been there. I just want to get to the other side of what I'm going through right now. I just want to get to the other side of what I'm going through. And I know you've been there, and you're in the middle of this storm. Listen, I just want to get to the other side of it. And something spoke to me there, and, it was, and you feel like Jesus is asleep. Wake up. Come on, God. Do you not see what we see? I feel like you're sleeping on the job here. Hello. I mean, I'm going to die in this. I just want to get to the other side. You were the one who, who called me into this life anyways. Look at what's going on here, God. Are you asleep? Hello. Wake up. And I love this because the, the, the point of the story isn't even that God can control the wind. The point of the story was that it took the storm for them to realize that Jesus had it all under control. It took the storm for them to realize that Jesus is what they needed most. And maybe some of you, you're in the middle of something right now. Personally, I've been there. And maybe... It wasn't brought by God, but God is going to use it to show you that he's all you need and that you need him most. And it's a humbling experience and it's a scary experience, but I promise you, if it seems like Jesus is asleep, it's because he wants you to understand that even in the midst of the storm, he's still God. And he wants you to understand that, listen, I got this. I'm in control, and it's a test of your faith over top of the circumstances. Jesus is a friend who's there when you need it most. Jesus, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is a friend who knows what you need most. He's a friend who knows what you need most and when you need it. I can't think of a better example of this than Peter. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who literally a couple hours before he denies Jesus almost killed a dude to defend Jesus. So, I mean, I can relate to Peter because I feel like he's kind of schizophrenic in his faith. Like, you know, like at church on Sunday, it's like, Jesus, you're amazing. And then on Monday, it's like, I, 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 I kind of sinned. You know, I, I just feel like that's, like that's Peter. You know, that's his life. Maybe, hey, maybe you're better than me. I don't know. That's me, though, sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my life sometimes. But, but Peter, anyways, th th this is Peter here. And, and he denies Jesus three times. Jesus crucified, raises from the dead. And then look at what he says here. I'm going out to fish. Some translations may say, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, you got any fish? No, they answered, been there. I don't know about you, I've been skunked plenty of times. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, remember this is John here talking about himself. Hey, Jesus' best friend, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard it, it's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water towards Jesus. And this is the moment where he goes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He says, of course I do. And it's the reinstatement of Peter. What's happening here? Listen, after 
the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, Peter goes back to what was comfortable. Peter goes back to what he did before he had a relationship with Jesus. Peter goes back to what he knew. And this is what's crazy. It didn't fulfill him. He caught nothing. And then through a miracle, he caught like the biggest, one of the biggest loads of fish he ever, by the way, if I'm fishing and a guy comes up, he goes, hey, just cast on the other side. I start catching fish. I'm gonna go give that guy like a hundred bucks. That's awesome. I need that guy on my team. I mean, that'd be awesome. Anyway, anyways, go, go cast on the other side. And he catches the largest load, but then he realized, look at this, he catches a big load of fish. He realizes Jesus, he forgets the fish and goes after Jesus. What is so important about this passage? Listen, he goes back to what he knew before he was saved. He goes back to what was important to him before he gets saved. He gets it. He gets a huge load of fish, but even that didn't fulfill him. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Have you ever went back? Have you ever went back to what happened before you were saved? Have you ever went back to that moment and said, I'm just gonna go back to what's comfortable and then you get it and it still doesn't fulfill you? And then he swims into Jesus because what Peter really needed wasn't, wasn't a boatload of fish. What Peter really needed was a boatload of love. What Peter really needed was acceptance. Because he was feeling so ashamed that the Jesus that he defended was the Jesus that he denied. And he didn't know that Jesus didn't see him that way. And maybe some of you here this morning, you've gone back. And it's left you empty even though you got what you wanted. And you need to come back to Jesus because Jesus is the friend who knows what you need most. Just like he knew what Peter needed most. I love the story of, this, of the woman at the well. The woman that Jesus shouldn't have even have been talking to. He goes up and he talks to this woman. Remember this woman, she had been married and divorced five times. She's living with the sixth man that's not her husband. And now she comes in contact with the seventh man, Jesus, in her life. Seven in the Bible means perfection. She comes in contact with the seventh man, Jesus, at a well. She's going to get water. But what she doesn't realize is that Jesus will give her spiritual water, which will never leave her heart and soul dry. And that's what he says here, John 4.10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I just picture Jesus like singing that song, can I buy you a drink? I'm joking, he didn't do that, he didn't do that. That's what I picture though, right? Like I gotta, I gotta imagine a little differently. You know, I'm, just, I'm joking, that's so, that's so off. Anyway, but but that's so what happens here. If you, <laughs> oh man, anyways, say it. <laughs> If you don't know that song, just ask a middle schooler, like a high schooler. They probably don't know either. Ask like a high schooler just recently in college, right? They dance to it at a dance. Don't ask them how they dance. Anyway, anyway, coming back, coming back. John, John chapter four. She asked for a drink of water. Asked for a drink of water. She says, I have something so much more. And in that moment, she realized she's the Messiah. She becomes the first woman preacher to witness and a whole town gets saved because of her faith. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. Listen, y'all, no one, no one, no one in the history of the world, no one in particular religion has ever done more for women's rights, has ever done more for women's freedom, has never done more for women than Jesus. At this point in time, a woman wouldn't even have the right to instruct a man, yet he went to a woman to be one of the first evangelists to go out and share the gospel. Are you kidding me? And she realized in that moment, the five men, they could not fill her with what she needed. The sixth man she was with Witten, but the seventh man, Jesus, perfection, number seven in the Bible, he had what she'd always been looking for. See, Jesus is a friend 
who knows what you need most. Just like Peter, just like the woman at the well. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is a friend who's there for you, even when you don't recognize it. Jesus is a friend for you, who's there for you, even when you don't recognize it. Even when you don't see is there. Check this out. Jesus um, just died on the cross for the sins, and he, different people are starting to, to see him. Uh, uh, he was revealed to, to the women at the tomb, um, Mary. He was, uh, he was revealed to the disciples. But Thomas, one of the disciples, was a little late to the game. And he didn't see Jesus after the resurrection, and, and he, he's, he's angry. I would say he's probably just upset at the fact that they got to see Jesus, and he didn't. He's doubtful. There's no way. I mean, someone can be raised from the dead. I mean, that's crazy. Look what it says here. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, no way. No way. You can see he's probably getting like angry because this is something that I feel like a person who's a little bit upset would say. No way you saw him. Unless I see his hands, the, the mark of the nails, unless I see his hands in the mark, unless I put my finger in the side of him, I'll never believe that he raised, rose from the dead. Now, I want you to notice this. He's saying this to disciples. Jesus, quote, unquote, isn't in the room. Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were inside the room again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then, he looked directly at Thomas. He said, put your finger here, see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. See, Jesus, quote unquote, wasn't in the room eight days earlier. But eight days later, he shows up and quotes Thomas exactly, word for word. He quotes exactly what Thomas said. I, unless I do this, I will not believe. How did Jesus know this beside the fact that he's God? How did he know this? Because even though Thomas did not know he was in the room, he was there. And listen, sometimes that's why faith isn't feelings. That's why faith is more than feelings. That's why whether you feel it or not, you gotta faith it. Because sometimes even though you don't feel God, you have to believe that he's there. And then in the moment, God will say, I just want to test you. I just want to make sure that you weren't, that you, your faith wasn't in your feelings, but your faith was in a person and it was me. I just had to test you real quick. So even though, even though Thomas did not see him, he was there. I started looking back at the times of my life, and it's always hindsight 2020, right? It's always hindsight 2020, where you're in that moment, you're like, where is God? And then you look back and you see how he was there working. Oh, man. And you're like, man, Jacob, come on. How didn't I, why didn't I see that? That's because it's part of faith. Sometimes you don't see God. Sometimes you don't. But it doesn't mean he's not there. That's why the writers of the New Testament say that. That's why faith isn't seeing. I mean, have you seen the book of Eli? Jesus is a friend who's there for you, even when you don't recognize it. And then lastly, and we're going to end on this, Jesus is a friend who gave up his life for you. He said it, John chapter 15, 13 through 16, there is no greater love 
than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in the servants. Now, you're my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. What kind of friend is Jesus? Jesus is the type of friend that would take a bullet for you. Jesus is the type of friend that would lay down his life for you. In fact, he did. Jesus is the type of friend that would love you even when you don't love him. Jesus is the type of friend that would choose you even when you don't choose him. Jesus is the type of friend that would hang out with you even when you don't want to hang out with him. Jesus is the type of friend who would lay down his life for you. Question. What type of friend would do that? Seriously. That's crazy. Lay down his life for you. But Jesus said, no greater love than this, that one will lay down his life for his friends. And I think it's crazy that Jesus would look down through the, through the corridors of time and he would look down and he would say, yeah, Jacob, born in 1992, Moorhead, Kentucky. Where's Moorhead, Kentucky? Moorhead, Kentucky, Easter, Kentucky. That he would say, oh, yeah, I paid for that. And he's my friend. Whoa. Whoa. So what do we do then? What do we do if we have a relationship with Jesus and, and, and Jesus says that we're friends, what next? I mean, how do I apply that to my life? It's gonna sound so weird and I get it. It's gonna be one of those like, cause like I, I, I get it, like I'm a God, so I have to do something. But look at what the Bible says. This is what he says, remain. Some translations abide. What do you mean? That means to, to set up shop, to, to move in, to make it your home. In other words, remain in that friendship. Abide in that friendship. Make that friendship your home. What do you mean by that? In other words, all the stuff that you do to your friends, I mean your real friends, not your fake friends, where it's like, yeah, we're friends, and then, and then you say, yeah, we'll hang out tonight, and then like something better comes along, and you're like, hey, I can't do that because my mom won't let me, and then you go and do something different. I'm not talking about that type of friend. Looking at you, GSP. I'm not talking about the type of friend where like, like you know, like, like, I know them because like I met them at the, like, the camp at one time and we kind of like kept up. And we have a streak. By the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm not talking about streaking. Like that's what it meant like pre like 2007. Now it means uh, there's this thing called snap. Anyways. I'm not talking about the people you have a streak with. Although you could apply that and say you should have a streak with Jesus. Again, I'm talking to the pre, I mean post 2007 crowd. Anyways. Remain in that friendship? Yeah, what does that look like? In other words, it just means be a friend. That means like hang out with Jesus. That means like talk to Jesus. Do you realize that that sounds crazy? Yeah, I know. Christianity isn't all about being cool. I've never seen someone look cool in worship. That's weird, man. Like you're crying and this guy's singing and there's like words on the screen and there's like dark and lights. Like, yeah, talk to Jesus. Get, get a, the version app and do a plan with Jesus. Not because you have to, but because your friend Jesus wants to have a convo with you. So that's it? Yeah. Because of Jesus loving you first and choosing you first and befriending you first isn't enough to change your heart. Nothing else will. So this morning, I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes.
Oswald Chambers says this, the most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain. That is all God asks us to give our attention to. And that is the one thing that is continually under attack. So what's the next step? You just need to be Jesus' friend like he's your friend. That's it, that's it. I don't have five steps. I don't have five points. You just need to be his friend. You need to hang out with him. You need to talk with him. You need to share your feelings with him. You need to be vulnerable with him. In other words, you need to open up aspects of your life. He already knows it anyway. He's just wanting you to get over the pride and to share it with him. To count on him and allow him to count on you. To obey him. To be there for him. As if he needs it, right? So I think there's two different types of people in the room. There's those ones who you've given your life to Jesus, and maybe this was a good reminder. At least for me, it was a hopeful and joyous reminder of how amazing of a friend I really have. It's so funny. I talk to students so many times, and they always say, I don't have a friend. And I'm always like, look at all the lights you get on that picture. Good Lord, pick one. I don't, I don't have a friend. I don't have a friend. Are you kidding me? You have like 35. The problem is you have too many friends. Listen, if they love God, love Jesus, love the church, that's a friend you need to have. Now, maybe honestly, you don't have that type of friend. You don't have a friend that loves God, loves Jesus, loves the church yet. You need to kind of readjust your life and get a friend that loves God, loves Jesus, loves the church because you're the average of your top five friends. If three of your five friends got drunk on July 4th, you probably did too. If three of your last five friends didn't study for the test and stayed up all night, you probably did too. If three of the top five friends uh, binge watched Stranger Things this past week, you probably did too. If three of your top five friends are serving this morning, you probably are too. Forget all that. Befriend Jesus. Love Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Because he's the best friend you could ever have. And then if you've never given your life to Jesus and you're here this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to be saved, you want to enter into a relationship with him, a friendship with him, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer after me. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it silently in your head right where you sit. And pray this prayer, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm sorry. I believe Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and I'm declaring Jesus is Lord. Forgive me. And if that's you and you prayed that prayer this morning and you believe it in your heart, the Bible says that you are saved. So in just a moment, if that was you and you prayed that prayer, I want to ask that you go out to the next step area and share that with someone. We have a gift that we would like to give you and a conversation we would like to have. And it's just our way of celebrating and jump-starting this journey with Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you that we can open up your word and throughout scripture beginning to end, we can see how you are a friend above all friends. We love you and we thank you for that. Encourage us, give us favor throughout the rest of this week. We love you. And God, we thank you. We're believing for the salvations that happened today. We're believing 
that life really has changed. You've transformed us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I ask and I pray. Everybody said. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.